Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this talk is going to be on the future of imaging pancreatic cancer. All the things I think that are coming about that are going to help us with early detection and improve patient care, patient monitoring, and patient outcomes. So I'm happy to do this. Now, when you listen to this talk, it's probably going to be sometime in early 2022, but I just want to say that I'm recording it on Pancreatic Cancer Day on November uh, 20th, 2021, and I'm wearing my purple Lust Garden t-shirt. So one of the things to recognize is that we've been trying to do early detection of pancreatic cancer for a long time. But this article from one of the larger consortiums just published a couple days ago made the point that we're not doing as well as we can. Even in patients who are at high risk uh, when patients were followed, they often developed cancer in between the various follow-up studies. And so the fact that we are picking up some cancers earlier in high-risk patients, we're still picking them up way too late. And so whatever we're doing is really not working as well as we should. If you look at the conclusion of that article, half of high-risk individuals developing high-grade dysplasia or pancreatic cancer had no prior lesions detected by imaging, yet presented at an advanced stage. Progression can occur before the next scheduled annual exam. More sensitive diagnostic tools or a different management strategy for rapid growing cysts are needed. So basically, we are doing the best we can, but doing our best is simply not good enough. So we need to be thinking differently. And what do we need to do? Just that statement, more sensitive diagnostic tools or a different management strategy is critical. Okay, that's what we're going to focus on in my talk. Now, if you look back at CT, 50 years was the anniversary this uh, past October, just a month ago, when Godfrey Hounsfield did the first patient and came up with CT. If you think about how we do CT, and let's talk about CT of the pancreas, we did it in 1980 when CT of the body was first coming along uh, with some speed. We really found that pancreas was one of the critical organs that could be evaluated. Remember, previously, there was no way really to look at the pancreas. Ultrasound was so-so. Nuclear medicine didn't work. Fluoroscopy, I remember with Dr. Salek, may he rest in peace, looking at the uh, C-loop for a, a compression. But by the time you found compression, you would uh, have advanced cancer. Not to mention compression was only when you had a mass in the pancreatic head and not the body and not the tail. So when we started doing CT of the body, remember we used film, it was eight by 10 film at Hopkins, four images on a film, maybe 40 slices per case max. It took us about an hour to do the patient because each image took about a minute to reconstruct, though the acquisition time was about 10 seconds and we surely had limited resolution. If you fast forward 10 years, we moved up to 14 by 17 film. Now images, we had about 100 slices per scan. The acquisition time had decreased to under five seconds, uh, but still resolution was somewhat limited. If you fast forward to today, no one even knows what film is. We have three to 4,000 slices per case. Uh, acquisition time is a matter of a few seconds. Uh, the uh, speed of acquisition, the ability to time delivery of IV contrast and acquiring data is something that's optimized, and we have high-res images. But despite all that, we're still having problems. Now, if you think about how people look at the scans once the data is generated, 
everyone looks at axial and we've put a lot of effort in and most people do look at multiplanar most of the time. 3D imaging with classical volume rendering in MIP is still used in only a few places. But those three things you should be doing now, that's baseline. You should be doing, doing nothing less. But as I look forward and what we're going to focus the talk on is not the things we should be doing already or are doing, but the things that we're going to be doing. Cinematic rendering, radiomics, and deep learning. And that's not really a limit. There'll be other things we're doing, but I'm going to focus on these three. And this has been a lot of the work we've done at Hopkins the past five years, so I'm going to focus on that. When you talk about the future of imaging, we always are going to recognize, particularly for small tumors, and this is true in any organ, human review of a data set is limited. It's limited by our ability. We're all busier and busier. The more scans you look at, the more likely you are to miss things. And particularly subtle findings can easily be missed. Multiplanar imaging helps, but it also has limited capabilities. And 3D imaging is rarely done in general. If it's done at all, it's not done with much of a passion. The tech will create some images, do the best they can. We tend to do it where the radiologist looks at the images, and that's really good, but we're rare in doing that. And even in doing that, we still need to optimize our techniques for doing 3D imaging, particularly cinematic with texture mapping. So I want to say that the key to pancreatic imaging in the future is not getting more slices or thinner slices or better resolution. It's really what we do with the images after we have them. Yes, I want higher resolution. Yes, I want lower dose. Yes, I want thinner sections. I want it all, but I'm telling you that getting it all is not going to change the paradigm unless we advance how we look at the images and that means everything I've mentioned to you. Now, in looking um, at 3D, I have to go always back to RSNA 1985. RSNA 2021 is happening in a week. But this is where Ed Kappel and the Pixar team were able to show in the Philips booth the ability to do volume rendering. Yes, it wasn't quite emphasized how it was 50 or 60 slices and that took 25 hours to reconstruct. But in a few years, the speed picked up. And of course, today, all of our 3D is done in real time. Besides the hardware and the vision that Pixar provided, they provided volume rendering. Bob Drebin, Lauren Carpenter, Pat Hanrahan. This is the key to everything we do in 3D imaging, is the ability to look at color, to look at depth. The alpha channel, RGB alpha was everything they did. You fast forward a number of years, Crowey's in the Netherlands, when he found that we had fast uh, GPUs for processing all the work coming out of NVIDIA, he said, well, we could do the volume rendering better. We could do it with cinematic rendering, which is just a term to say, hey, we had more lighting models and it looked sexier because with more lighting, you have more shadows. With more shadows, you have more realistic imaging. And his Monte Carlo technique was implemented particularly at Siemens, though other companies did it as well. But you had much better images than we've ever had before. And the ability to not only look at the images, but look at the lighting models, look at the texture, was something that became very real. So if you look at a patient like this, you can see, for example, that I could scan 
through the pelvis and now I'm changing from skin to muscle you see the nodes the inguinal region you see the individual muscle bundles I'll keep changing the parameters and now you're seeing the vessels and now you're seeing the bone and you're seeing some foreign matter some broken needle tips in the patient's left inguinal region but I'm simply showing you everything that's in the data set and now I'm going the other way the adenopathy in the inguinal region the point is all that information is in the data set it's simply how we look at it and so what we're trying to do is figure out better ways to look at this information and again it's simply controlling this is a series of trapezoids which you adjust to optimize different tissues so when you think about the pancreas you want to optimize the texture map of normal and abnormal you want to accentuate what's in the data set and again creating these trapezoids what's important about that is it makes my work very easy if I started from scratch on every case it could take me 20 30 40 minutes a patient by having presets I'm typically 90 to 95 percent accurate by pressing a button then I do the minor adjustments at that point and so it's taking me literally under a minute to do a case and the number of presets I have is probably 200 now and I probably have 20 different pancreas presets for different phases different patient sizes and different texture maps that I like to use to look for subtle tumors and here's just a good example this is a case of a neuroendocrine tumor one centimeter tail of pancreas you can see it very nicely there's the lesion here it is in the uh, the uh, cinematic rendering but you can see when I change the look of the cinematic look how I accentuate the pancreatic gland and here's the patient's tumor here it is again so you can see the textural changes of the tumor in part because of increased vascularity make it stand out from the rest of the pancreas you also can see on the four cinematic images that the appearance of the pancreas is different in each image that's the normal pancreas because what I'm trying to do is accentuate the tissue and then accentuate normal from abnormal or this case with a neuroendocrine tumor tail of pancreas here's the mass with calcification axial images here's the mass with MIP imaging nicely showing you the calcifications but look how nicely you see the tissue type as well as the calcifications when you do the cinematic rendering you also nicely see the vascular map so showing the vessels as well as the tumor staging of course is one of the things I can do really well with 3d especially with cinematic but staging and detection are two of the things we're going to be doing when you talk about cinematic rendering and texturing texture mapping in oncology what I like to do is detect the presence of tumor when the texture difference uh, is there but there's maybe not a defined mass so it's my thought that and the thoughts of others obviously that we can detect things earlier we can detect things when it's not an obvious mass but just textural changes and that's being written about in a number of articles now as the earliest sign of pancreatic cancer we also can analyze texture for specific tumor types and with radiomics be able to predict precisely what the tumor is and I hope as you go forward in things like neuroendocrine not just find a neuroendocrine but determine it's a grade one or grade two and three and then again following that up we want to be able to analyze specific tumors to help predict the optimal treatment and also to predict outcome so I'm just going to show you a case of a serous cyst adenoma just to give you a feel about texture mapping here's a large cystic lesion with septations you can see on the coronal volume rendered views and in the routine coronal images 
I can accentuate the septations a bit. And here it is again with volume rendering. And now on the cinematic rendering, look how many more septations you see within the cystic lesion. One of the things you recognize because of the increased lighting is the ability to see interfaces. Interfaces allow you to see septations. And here you can see much more of the septations and texture within this serous cyst adenoma. So again, a very important thing and a way to think about things that we're looking at a cystic lesion, looking at the septations, trying to figure out precisely what the lesion is. Is this a mucinocystic neoplasm? Is it serous? Is it something else? But again, looking at the texture maps will be critical. And of course, I can bring out the images so that I can show the vascular map as well. So you think about it, all of this is post-processing. All of this is nothing to do with radiation dose. All of this is simply done after the patient leaves the scanner. So you can see how much input we can have. So some examples. Here's a mass, somewhat obvious, body of the pancreas, a little more than two centimeters, hypodense. Here it is again on the coronal view, and you nicely see the mass and the dilated pancreatic duct behind it, adenocarcinoma, looks like it's resectable. Here it's very nicely shown on the textural mapping of the gland. You see the tumor infiltrating the body, there's the duct, but I'm showing you how the texture of the normal gland and how the texture of the tumor will vary. As I look through the different images, I can show you nicely the celiac and the SMA, the orientation of the tumor being away from the vessels with no vascular involvement. I then show with you in the venous phase where the textural difference between normal tissue and tumor in fact increases. Again, showing you this in the coronal perspective. Another example, dilated pancreatic duct, looking for a reason. When we see a dilated duct like this, we assume there's a mass present. Sometimes you don't see the mass because the mass is isodense, but you definitely know the mass is there. Yes, you can get a stricture post-trauma, but in a patient without trauma, if you have a cutoff, it's a mass. Sometimes it's a neuroendocrine tumor. Mainly, it's going to be an adenocarcinoma. Here you can see some of the subtle textural changes a bit better in coronal view and the transition point. So we know there's a cancer sitting right there. Here it is in the cinematic, beautifully defining the pancreatic duct and its transition very nicely showing you the subtle changes in the gland. This is normal gland texture, this is abnormal. That's the patient's tumor. So again, the ability to recognize tumor by texture mapping, not by mass size, is critical. In these recent articles in AJR, they make the point that textural change, particularly focal atrophy of the gland, with or without duct detection or dilatation, is one of the key findings in early detection of pancreatic cancer. And here I've simply changed the mapping. Look at the heart, you can see inside the chambers, but you can see this is a way of accentuating the tumor type. Another example, another mass in the body of the pancreas, duct cutoff. There it is in coronal. There it is in cinematic rendering. So I'm very nicely showing you the cinematic rendering and the ability to visualize the tumor. And here's just a few more images. You also can see from the images the ability to look at the liver, look at the liver texture, look for the presence of any liver lesions. Here's another case, a larger mass, this time in the head of the pancreas. There it is on coronal views. You can nicely see the mass 
and the encasement of the patient's GDA right here. Now, GDA encasement in and of itself does not make someone unresectable because the GDA is always sacrificed when you do a Whipple's procedure. Now you see the larger mass and the texture of the mass, very nicely shown here and here. And here it is again, just simply changing the parameters to really accentuate the difference of the tumor is and the rest of the gland. Or another case with a more subtle lesion, this time in the uncinate, low density on the axial images. You can see the mass coming on the coronal view very nicely, okay? Not a problem, we'll have to stage this patient looking at the SMA and SMV and its relationship to the mass. But you can see how nicely that tumor is accentuated by the texture mapping. So again, one of the things to recognize is I think we can accentuate the ability to see smaller tumors by changing the appearance of the tumors and making them more obvious compared to the rest of the gland. So that is something we are working on now. And here's just a few more views showing you that 15 millimeter tumor in the patient's uncinate process. Now this is a larger tumor tail of pancreas. It's kind of necrotic invading the spleen involving the splenic artery and vein. Also, you can see on the image involving the upper pole of the left kidney. And here it is nicely on the cinematic view, the tumor infiltration, the changes with infiltration into the spleen and involvement of the patient's upper pole of kidney. So again, small tumors or large tumors, those textural changes are critical in defining extent of disease which will be great for staging, but again, for picking up smaller tumors, I believe that's gonna be its major contribution. Now, in terms of other lesions, here's a cystic lesion in the head of the pancreas, likely an IPMN. I do not see nodularity, I do not see septations, I do not see anything that would make me worry that this patient has malignancy or high-grade dysplasia. Again, this patient would be followed depending on the clinical history and the patient's symptoms, but it's well-defined water density, no septations, no nodularity. And then here it is on the cinematic. I cut through the liver, showing you the liver very nicely. Then I show you the cystic lesion. You can see right through the lesion because it's purely fluid. There's no septations or any other findings. We could say this is simply an IPMN with no worrisome features. And again, the texture mapping of the fluid, the fact we can look at the wall and don't see any nodularity or thickening the wall or see anything else makes our job very, very easy. So I feel very comfortable with that diagnosis. Now, just to compare it, this is a cystic lesion in the body of the pancreas, but if you look hard, you can see an enhancing rim to it, and that's a neuroendocrine tumor, shown very nicely on the volume rendering, and you could see it also on the cinematic rendering. At first glance, it looks like a cyst, but then you see the wall is thickened. You see that definable wall? You don't have a definable wall with an IPMN unless you have high-grade dysplasia. Cystic lesions with thickened walls, you have to be thinking about a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. And many of these smaller ones are indeed cystic. Of course, we know the majority of patients with neuroendocrine tumors are hypervascular lesions but there are cystic neuroendocrine tumors, and this is just a wonderful example. Now, another case, this is a small tumor under one centimeter in the pancreatic head. You can just barely see the lesion on the coronal views, as well as the axial views, but look how nicely you can see it here. 
and you could see the vascularity of the lesion very well and that would be the perfect example you can see from the multiple views I've changed the parameters so sometimes you see it better than others but that's a neuroendocrine tumor again the ability to see small lesions is always a challenge for radiologists whether they're hypo or hypervascular size is always a problem we need to move forward with that now in saying that there are other things we're going to do because even with the cinematic I'm simply looking at the images and the question is is there a better way for me to look at the images and that's going to be where we pick up part two of this talk looking at the potential for HoloLens and how that might help us and with that let's take a break for let's say five minutes and we'll come right back if you like this video make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel you can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos plus quizzes pearls protocols and oh so much more we're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.